come you haven't mentioned Izzy Bayar lately? Izzy Bayar. Yeah, who is he, Brian? Because sometimes you used to walk along and you'd just say Izzy Bayar. Yeah. Yeah, Izzy Bayar. Who is he? Yeah. Or she, even. Brian. Izzy Bayar. Izzy Bayar. Yeah, what, who or what is Izzy Bayar? Hmm? You're not going to tell me. Because you were just walking along one mm -hmm. evening. Yeah, you're getting annoyed now. But listen, you were walking along one evening and you just said Izzy Bayar. I used to say this a few times. You don't want to tell me. You don't remember. <laughs> Who is Izzy Bayar? A glimpse into the autistic world of Brian O'Connor through the eyes of his carer, Kevin Whelan. Brian, look at a Ferris wheel. Ferris wheel. Ferris wheel. Have you been up on that yet? Yeah. Have you? Yeah. No, I don't think you have, Brian. And they're finally going to bring the band back to the old bandstand at long last. Green light, stop. No, green light, go. Go. Red light, stop. For traffic lights. Brian's not missing a thing. He's watching. He's not looking at me, but he's taking everything in front of him on the road, on the pavement. Brian, what's this car up here? Look, a hundred yards away, the grey one. Grey one. What sort of car is that? Opel Corsa. Opel Corsa. All right. What's this grey one coming along here? What's that? Nissan. Nissan. Opel Astra. Opel Astra, passing an Opel Astra. What's this little car up here? Renault 5. Renault 5. What's that big truck for? We see that sometimes. Trees. Trees, good man. That's the truck that takes the trees. What's that car in front of us? Shushu 205. Peugeot, good man. You should be on AA Roadwatch, Brian. AA Roadwatch. Yeah. Okay, here we go. Virtual racing. You ready, Brian? Brian's in the in the cockpit of the driving simulator here. It's a state of state of the art machine. It's, it's really. You know, fabulous game. Oh, he's just crashed. He's at the steering wheel, he's driving, he's foot down hard on the accelerator. Brian, you could let up on the accelerator a bit, you know. I always tell you this, because you're going to crash. That's it. Oh, watch the bend. Good man, good man, Brian. No, don't... So you crashed again. I keep telling you to slow down. You know, like the ads, you kill the speed, Brian. Kill the speed. Brian, you listening to any of my co-driving instructions here? There you go. Look, you got best lap. We've got extended time. That's very good in spite of three crashes. You're doing well, Brian. I know how much my encouragement means to you here. July 12th, 1993. Brian walks ahead of me. Slow down, Brian, will you? He glances at me, 
a quick, almost furtive glance. I have noticed that he is not much inclined towards making direct eye contact. That itself will take some getting used to. Also, he has a habit, when talking to me, of staring off past my shoulder. Actually, he does the same with everyone else. I think it's important to understand that Brian doesn't mean to be rude when he does this. It's just the way he is. Another thing that will take some getting used to is this habit he has of clapping his hands together in front of his face, while giggling and almost whining at the same time. He is, by any standards, really very handsome. He is tall, slim, sallow-skinned. Strangely enough, he never gets the eye from teenage girls. All of us know instinctively when there's something not quite right about someone. We are all very sharp, too sharp, in spotting flaws in each other. I just leave my bike here outside Brian's house in Salt Hill, where he lives with his parents, Anthony and Teresa, and his two brothers and his sister. It's just a little after 5.15. Brian should be in from the training centre by now. And the door is usually left on the latch, so let's see if he's inside. Yeah, get your pack, okay? Hello, Teresa. Hello. Where's the main man? Is he? Can't get his boss past me. Brian? Brian? Yeah. Did you just have your breakfast? Yeah. You did? 20 past five in the evening, he's just had his breakfast. My job description, such as it is, would be a carer. Um, I'm employed by an organization in Galway as a carer to Brian. It's, it's part, the role is like a minder, camp counsellor, um, bodyguard in a sense, um, older brother maybe, you know, it's, it's all those things in, in one. But the carer, that's really what I am. For the last three years, my routine with Brian has been unchanging, really. It's, I arrive at his house, I cycle to his house in the evenings around 5.15, Monday through Friday, um, pick Brian up, we'll walk into town or we'll get the bus, later we'll have a Coke or a drink in one of the cafes in town, just basically hanging out, just getting him out of the house for an hour and a half, just touring around town, into the library, doing into toy shops, whatever Brian wants to do and whatever I want to do. We tag along with each other, really. I mean, we're like shadows. I mean, I can walk ahead of Brian. I'll know that he's behind me. He's following me every step of the way. Um, it's, you know, it's unchanging routine. It's not exactly gripping stuff, but it's it's to get Brian out to improve his sense of commun- dealing with other people, his social skills, all of that stuff. That's really what it's all about.
Yeah, what, what are we doing now? We're going into town. Town? Well, what will we do tonight? This. What will we do? Do. Like Brian has a lot of charisma. I mean, he actually laughs and smiles a lot. Like he has, he's running jokes inside his head all the time. He's smiling, he laughs. And he has a particular, he knows how to get around you. Little subtle little things you do. Like he'll hold your chin and look at you and he'll smile. And he knows he's playing to you. You know, but it's it's good humoured. It's it's not, it's not sort of manipulative. It's it's good humour. He knows how to get around people. Maybe it's because he's, you know, his, his father's a Kerry man. It does some a bit of that in it, perhaps. You know, um, he knows how to be cute when it when it suits him. But he has a very distinct personality. I mean, I, I've met a couple of autistic lads who wouldn't have that person, who wouldn't be as warm or, or likable as Brian, who are just really remote. I mean, I mean, so remote that you wouldn't get a word out of them. You know, so so Brian is very you know vivacious in that in that sense. I mean, Brian has autistic characteristics because he is autistic, but he has his own um, likes and dislikes in music and and drinks and and food and whatever. I mean, if he doesn't like a certain type of food, he'll say like it. That means he doesn't like it. I mean, he always speaks in simple declarative sentences of maybe one or two words, very simple and direct. He has a real personality, you know, but he would never turn to me and say, what did you do on the weekend, Kevin? Or what's... He doesn't speak you know, in sentences like that anyway. It's always one word, a couple of words, that's it. There's never, how are you, what's, how's the form, and what did you do? Never. And, and there never will be either, you know. Um, there'll never be anything like that. Can get off the bus here, shall we? Yeah. It's dark in the car. Stop Look, the truck. Yeah, truck. There goes a the truck. You can press the bell, right? Press, press the bell. Well, we're just getting off at Spanish Arch, Key Street. This is the usual route we take through town. We're passing through the so-called Latin Quarter of this sort of centre of Galway's artistic community. Brian following behind. Brian, do you want to walk ahead of me? There we go, usual, usual sights and sounds in Key Street. McDonald's fish and chip shop. Best fish and chips in the country. Where to next? Yeah. Where are we going? Going. No, where are we going? Just tell me. Where? Where? No, where are we going now? Drink. No, not drink. Eastons. When Brian repeats the words like that, that's um, echolalia. At least I think that's how it's pronounced. It's repeating of words and phrases continually. But Brian does that all the time. And, you know, it's not like he's sort of kidding around, like repeating a word just to annoy you. It's just... That's, it's just a thing he does now and then. Passing the Scots busker. That, that fellow used to have a bagpipe, and whenever you blow it, Brian will put his hands over his ears. Come on, Brian. Well, we're going to, going to first Eason's. Eason's, right? What books are you going to look at? 
What books? books? Yeah, which ones though? Right here. Yeah, right here. But which books though? Just tell me. Name one book. Oh. One book. Okay. Come on, just name one book you're going to look at. Accident book? Accident book. Yeah, the first aid book. Good boy. Well, we're in the Eastons now. Brian, listen, look. I'm gonna go up and look at my book. So you can yeah. go up to the doctor book. Yeah. Wait, wait a second, wait, wait a sec. Wait, 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 don't just walk off. Do you wanna look at the magazines first? Yeah. Which ones? Right here. Right here, okay. Here's a... Now he's looking for the model truck and toy magazine, huh? Sorry. Do that. <laughs> Pushing this guy aside. Brian knows what, what he wants, how to get it. Brian, what are you looking for? Ah, model, model collector. Yes. Brian is very fascinated by cars, trucks, lorries, buses, you name it. I have no idea why. Maybe it's the shapes, the colors. But what's interesting about this page, look. Every single image he sees in this magazine is going straight into his head. And he just, he just has to look at something for a second, it's already absorbed. So if he was like a, a computer, you could tap, tap on screen for um, CD-ROM or something, it would come up straight away and you'd have the information he needed instantaneously. You wouldn't have to think about it the way we would, like, oh, what was that? Or do I, I'm trying to remember such and such. He's remembered it already. Listen, I'm going up towards the back of the shop. Yeah. Okay? All right. So where is it? Third. What are you looking for? What are you looking for? Oh, you want it? Oh, this one. Okay. That's your hand. Hurt his hand, little boy on the cover hurt his hand, yeah. What's that? What is that? Neck. What, what is it? Neck. Neck? No, that's the lungs, isn't it? What's happened here? September 10th, 93. I have noticed that when we visit Eason's bookshop, Brian is drawn to the first aid books. In his slender hands, he is cradling the Red Cross first aid book. It is always lovely to see anyone handle a book with care and respect. A dusty old bibliophile couldn't be more reverential. His expression is sombre, even intellectual. He could be any medical student. But Brian is never going to be a medical student. He looks at a scene representing a car crash. Man hurt leg, he tells me. Go on, Brian. Next, a picture of an old woman lying slumped against a wall. It isn't as literal as the other pictures. No blood, no gaping wounds, and this bothers him. Happened, he asks. Then, lady sick. And I'm thinking, what if? What if? What if? What if? What if? The screech there, the bus breaking. 
Brian put up his hands to his ears immediately. And, you know, who can blame him? I just arrived at Silver Strand. I, I came down off the promenade there onto the beach and across the rocks. It's quite slippery. I come down to this rather neat outcropping here. It looks like it's been it's been designed specifically to, to sit back and reflect and almost like like a cloister, like a, a beach cloister of, in a sense. But yeah, it's, it's it's pleasant and it's 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 away from Salt Hill, from the tourists, from from the job with Brian and all all of that. Yeah, um, very peaceful, um, tranquil sort of place really. It's a sort of overcast day, but but I like it. I like places like this that they don't change and that as you always remember them. I mean, when I was a boy, when we first came here from, from England, um, this place is more or less as it was then, with the same rocks, the same sound of the waves lapping on the, on the shore. And in a sense, Brian, Brian is like that, you know, um, sort of unchanging in his way. If I, if I met him in 10 years, he'd be more or less exactly the same. He'd have changed physically, but he'd be almost exactly the same person inside in many, res in many respects. Um, I mean, trying to imagine what it's like in, inside Brian's head is what he'll be thinking is, is very difficult. I mean, when I was a child, I used to imagine, used to try to imagine what it would be like if there was no world, no planet Earth, and you know, no, even no solar system. And it's just impossible to get your head around that idea. And it's, it's like that with Brian. I can't imagine what goes on in his head, what he's thinking about, is he thinking about things, what amuses him and it's just it's, it's a, he's, a, he's, a, he's a, like a, a Rubik's Cube, he's a jigsaw he's an enigma, it's all these things, just a puzzle unending puzzle, a maze in fact, in, among my books at home I have a book on autism between a book of mazes and a book by Colin Wilson called Unsolved Mysteries because I like the visual sort of pun <laughs> You know, it's most people probably wouldn't get it unless you knew what about autism. But unsolved mysteries, mazes, and the book on autism—it's a little visual gag of mine. But uh, yeah, this this wouldn't be Brian's scene really doing this, just hanging out like this. Light side owner, Brian says. We're moving up Shop Street now to Ray O'Brien's newsagent. A regular stop on our 
evenings in town. Brian, you can walk ahead of me. You don't have to wait for me. You know that. Brian, what are you going to get? Light Sidoni, yeah, but what else? What else? So you keep saying, what else? No, what else? What else are you going to get? See, I know, but nobody else knows. What else are you going to get? Tell me. Right, no, he doesn't want to tell me. Um, no more than getting the bus into town or whatever, going to Easton's. There are tiny, subtle little routines we have to adhere to each evening. But the most important one is coming up where he gets his Sidona, his bar of Moro, and his packet of fruit gums from Ray O'Brien's shop. It doesn't have to be Ray's shop, it can be any shop really. But if we didn't get that this evening, if we didn't get those things, there'd be hell to pay. He'd have a tantrum or he'd freak out. He'd have what I call a mind storm. So he, everything, everything is going fine now because he knows he's getting his treats. He has the money in his pocket to pay Mr. O'Brien. He knows exactly where to go. He's got his head down and he's flicking his hands a bit there. But routine is everything with autistics. Because they're so frightened of the world. That routine gives them security. When they don't have their routine, they're, they're frightened and insecure. And the world is um, scary enough, I suppose. Uh, sanctuary of O'Brien shop. All right. How are you? Can you give me five? O'Brien gives Mr. O'Brien five. No better man. No better man. How are you today? Go on, Brian. Answer Mr. O'Brien. That's all right. You're all right. Right. You're all right. Are you minding Kevin? You are. Mm. You're minding him. Brian. He needs a lot of minding. Brian, you're going to town today, aren't you? Brian isn't really answering. He's just selecting his his treats. It looks like he's being rude, but he isn't really. Well, he has his moral, his fruit gums, his fanta, and of course he gives Mr. O'Brien a pound, but he has to give him more. That, that happens every evening. He always gives him one coin, he's always asked to give him another coin. He must know he has to give him two coins. You're so sorry, Brian. Are you my friend? You're a mighty man. just looking across the bay to um, the flagpole that's sticking out. It looks like in the middle of the bay there used to be a, a wreck there. When I was very young you could hear it at night before they dynamited it and got, got rid of it completely. You could hear it, this eerie, humming, ghostly sound echoing across the bay and there's just a, a marker there so ships don't run aground on it again. Um, that would be before Brian's time, but that, that would interest him if you could hear that, that noise. That would, I wonder what, what he had reckoned it was, you know, what, what its source was. But um, he doesn't like uh, noise, chaos, disorder, the stuff of modern life, of <laughs> city, li city living. I mean, he's particularly frightened of, of wind, um, rain, hailstones. I mean, you're really frightened of them. That they, 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 the elements scare him. I mean, I remember once last year we were sitting in a, a cafe in town on the corner near Francis Street and Eglinton Street, and it was a very overcast day, and suddenly the clouds darkened, 
and the whole street darkened. It was like waiting from afternoon almost to to late late night, really. I mean, just the level of light just faded, and it was a dark, gloomy street. The clouds were very overcast, and he could see people scurrying for cover because he knew a storm was coming, and everyone in, in the cafe could sense it. And we were, we had the shelter, and we were safe. We could see secretaries leaving their work and running for co- literally running for cover. People running into doorways, and the storm was coming on. And Brian was looking at me, and he, and he was really frightened. He was, his hands were shaking, and he was looking out the window. And I, I said, you'll be all right, Brian. I said, it's, it's just going to rain in a second, but everything's fine. We're safe here. And he was saying, yeah, yeah, and looking out the, at, the, at the street as it got darker and darker. And then the first drops of rain started hitting the window. And just this thing, straight, it was like out of a spiel, out of Jurassic Park, or a Spielberg movie, just hit the... Unbelievable force, the hailstones hitting the windows, the roar of the wind. It was terrifying for Brian because he could pick it up before that. He could pick it up like an electrical current that was in the air. He could pick up the storm coming even before of it. He could sense it, you know. And he was really frightened. I, I sort of, I sort of held held his hand. I said, "You'll be all right, Brian." But the thing passed after about ten minutes. But while it was happening, he was just looking out fretfully as if the wind and the rain was going to crash in through the coffee shop and maybe sweep us all away when the wind finally calmed down he said wind over wind over and he was he was happy but looking fretfully at the sky for it to maybe start up again but they're they're so frightened of of the elements of people of disorder anything that 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 smacks of the um the exceptional are the the sudden and the unexpected April 20th, 95. Teresa, Brian's mother, tells me about his weekend. Brian didn't go to bed until 5.30 Saturday morning, walking fully clothed into his parents' bedroom to kiss his mother goodnight. Before that, he'd been stomping and roaring around the house, even kicking a hole in a downstairs wall. I'm reminded of another such mind storm. Then I waited outside for him, knowing the storm would finally blow itself out. Inside, his father, Anthony, did his best to placate him. There is no such thing as reasoning when it comes to dealing with an autistic. Stomping, biting his thumbs, red-faced, furious. It all ended with the sound of the bathroom mirror crashing and splintering to the ground. I sat on the wall in the sunshine.
Chrisville Collins. Right here, no one's not. You think the man will play some Phil Collins for us? What's he gonna play? Well done, Brian. That's a sensational body. You were tapping your feet along there. Yeah. You were good. You could be a Phil Collins backing singer. A bit of practice. What's that song called? Sword Daughters. Yeah, the Sword Daughter. What's the name of the song? Yeah. To win just once. Once. That's all any of us want. To win just once. Yeah. Right? Hey. Say thanks. Hey. Hey. You're pleased. Okay. Yeah, you're excited. You're smiling. Sword Doctors, band of the year. Yeah. Thank you. Pocket. Pocket, yeah. Right. Thank you. I mean, we're living here now in the real world. We're physically, I'm physically here in Silver Strand. The sun has just come through the clouds a bit. I can watch, I can see a ferry chugging out to the Aran Islands. Um, but, but for Brian, well, Brian would see that. He would see this real world. But I often wonder if, if his world, his inner world, is, is happier and better than my inner world, you know? I mean, what, who's to say what is real life and what isn't real life? You know, I mean, for I mean, all the worries and concerns I have, and all sorts of stuff that clutters that clutters you up, and Brian apparently is sort of free of that in in a odd sort of way. Um, you know, I mean, who's just, I mean, he's on the face of it, happy and contented, and he has all he wants. He has, you know, his, the little things he wants in life: his fruit gums, his bar moral, his light sidona, his. Pepsi Max is once a month visit to the disco they have in town for mentally handicapped people. His Brian Adams records, stuff like that. He doesn't ask for anything really. I mean, he's content with what he has and what he can, what people give him. He doesn't ask for anything other than that. So, you know, he again, he has a lot that that most of us could learn from. We could learn so much from him, from and from other mentally handicapped people. Indeed, you know, people who are who have who are born like who are just born like that in a sense uh, almost like perfect people the way we should be but but we're not because we're handicapped in our own <laughs> way of looking at things or because we've been brought up in different ways to see the world in different ways but they're born 
pure in a sense, you know, and yet they're handicapped. It's, it's a paradox, it's a, it's a contradiction in terms, but, uh, but normal people like me have to uh, struggle with that, normal, abnormal worries and our, and our petty sort of lives maybe on the face of petty. Well, I mean, I'm as ambitious as anybody else, I, you know, and I have the same biases and dumb ideas as anyone, anybody else has, really, and I think that I'm sort of above all that, but I'm not. But Brian is pure of that, he's free of it. There's, there's, no, there's no prejudices. Or, um, I mean, if everyone was like Brian, there'd be, there'd be no room for psychiatrists, psychoanalysts. I'm not saying it'd be a great world if everyone was like that, but that kind of spirit, that, that lack of... That lack of the, of, of yeah, baggage. I suppose that we all carry around with e- with each other. February second, nineteen ninety six. There are times when the idea of being autistic has its appeal. The so-called real world is a scary place. The human animal is a frightening breed. Every day there are rapes, murders, random, dumb acts of savagery and violence. Too much noise and aggression. Human emotions apparently out of control. And there is no hiding place from any of it. It's as though the autistic recognises this from its earliest weeks in the mother's womb. It didn't like what it sensed of the world, and so let its mind close itself off from it. Forget it, the autistic seemed to say. I'm not going out there like the rest. No, I'm going to seal myself off from all of that. The world is scary. Better to stay the way I am. Much saner that way. Brian. 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 Yeah, what's happening? Saw doctor. Look at this. I've got a saw doctor's press launch here. Yeah. What's going on? Going on. Yeah. Yeah, where are they? I hear. They're right inside. So. Oh man. Yeah. Can we go in? Yeah. yeah let's go in. Let's see this. <laughs> Brian, how you doing? Yeah, nice to meet you. Is. Thanks for coming down. Best going down. This is Brian, big fan. Hi, Brian. Have you seen big his plane fan. before? Yeah. All your songs are his favourite. Right, he just He's likes the vibe. Hi, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, Brian. There you go. Good luck to you. See you there. See you there. Thank you. Bass guitarist Pierce of the Saw Doctors has just given Brian a signed Saw Doctors poster, and Brian is in his element. He has the Saw Doctors poster promoting their appearance at the Arts Festival, and he has it in his grip tightly in his right hand. He's very excited now. You have to show that to everybody at home. Actually, that was perfect. I mean, you know, that was really good. Yeah. Yeah, that was good. What really bothers me about Brian, well, it's more 
things that irritate me about him. I mean, he's again, he's not aware of this, and there's no point in telling him because it would, really wouldn't make much difference. But it's just things the whole business of the, the obsession with the routine. Uh, when we're on the bus, he'll say bell to press the bell, even though he knows a bus driver will stop. Uh, and he'll say it out loud, bell, bell, and I'll say, no, no, you know, we'll get off the bus when it stops, and he'll be fine then. You know, I, li I like the guy's company, you know, I enjoy it, but I couldn't do it four hours a day or five hours a day, you know. I mean, there is a limit, and what, an hour and a half is more than enough. But again, you know, people say, how can you do it? I mean, I'm not doing it for free. It's not like I'm the Dalai Lama or Mother Teresa or something for the good of my impoverished soul. <laughs> it was probably good for my impoverished soul, too, now that I think of it. But um, no, it's, it's the job. It's, you know, ultimately, it is the job. And that's, at the end of the day, that's all it can be, really. June 12th, 1995. There are just so many things I'd like to be able to tell him about. Who my favourite writers are, or cool movies I've seen, what I like and don't like, all of that. He's never going to have a girlfriend, so I can forget heavy... August 18th, 95. I hate this job, Brian, I tell him calmly. We continue walking along in the sunshine. Yeah, he says. This job, Brian, is seriously starting to piss me off. I need a break, Brian. Like, say if this was my last ever night, it is a paradox. I know just about everything there is to know about Brian. He knows nothing about me but my name. And that's all that really matters in Brian's head. Who am I? Who cares? I'm the guy who takes him on the bus to town. I mean, you understand. That's all. The thing is... I've just got to get away from everything for a long time. Fuck this job. He looks at me quickly. Those last three words. Kevin, feel better? I reach over, pat him on the shoulder. Yeah, Brian. Kevin feels better. It's not your fault. Honest to God, it isn't. Feel better tomorrow? Feel better tomorrow, yeah. There's going to come a point one day when I won't be taking Brian out or looking after him. Uh, you know, if because I have my other life as as a writer. But yeah, when 10 years' time, when Brian is, you know, 29, and he'd probably be working, he'd be in a, a workshop in, a, in one of the factories they have, making things, making birdhouses, making window boxes, headboards, that kind of thing. That's what he's training at now in his training center. But, yeah, it's, it's, I know it's a concern for his, for his family, um, and it has to be, because he, he's never going to change. You know, there's not going to be some morning when he's going to wake up, um, like the character in the film, Birdie, who, who pretends to be a canary after being traumatized in the war, and he just snaps out of it and starts talking to his friend, Al, again. That's not going to happen with Brian. You know, there's, there's no happy ending here. Just, he just continue on in his life, in his routines, in his little autistic, self-contained world. I mean, if, I, if I had any hopes for Brian, it would be that he just really 
stays the same. Maybe he had, that he has less tantrums or mind storms, as I call them, and that that would that would lessen as years go on. But that he would really be the, the way he is now. You know, with his his lightness of spirit, his 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 natural warmth, his goodness, the the purity that is in him. That he would always be like that, and just um, the sense of value he can give others about themselves. And again, he's not even aware of it. I, I mean, I don't want him to, to change really at all. I mean, why should he? I mean, change to fit people's idea of what normal is and what what a right, proper, fulfilling life is. I mean, who am I to say what that is? Um, just, just Samuel Beckett said he'll go on. Who is Izzy Bayar? A glimpse into the world of Brian O'Connor through the eyes of his carer, Kevin Whelan, was recorded in Galway. Sound supervision on location and in studio was by Edon O'Doul. Who is Izzy Bayar? was compiled and produced by Martha McCarran. On Father Griffin Road, Brian claps his hands in front of his face, staring contentedly into empty space, smiling as if he's looking directly at something. Is he Baya? he says, suddenly. Is he Baya? says Brian again. What is he seeing that I can't see? Brian, who is Izzy Baya? Is he Baya? he says again, looking at me smiling. <laughs>